Welcome to the podcast sermon portion of the worship service from First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. We invite you at some time to come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. We're located at the corner of Ashland and Elm in LaGrange, Illinois. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, find our website at fpclg, fpclg.org. On that page, you can scroll to the bottom and be invited to participate in this podcast ministry on our contributions page. Please make a gift at whatever level you are able. Thank you so much, and we trust you will be blessed by this podcast ministry. Let's join the worship service with a scripture reading already in progress. This morning's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 10 through 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your body shall flourish like the grass, and it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with his servants, and his indignation is against his enemies.
from the Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Give our hearts ears so that it is not the noise that strikes our heads, but the word that pierces our heart that sticks with us, that grants us evidence of your presence and the words of life eternal. To the glory of your Son, Christ. Amen. I need to confess that at the beginning of our worship service during announcements, I made a slight mistake. The mistake was that I said that the children raised $1,130. I checked the note. It's $1,180. So I wanted the person who gave that $50 gift to make sure that they got credit for the, the full fundraising. Uh, today, from time to time, I like to focus on a single word. And today in the 66th chapter, the 12th verse of Isaiah, is our word of the day. The prophet is laboring to convey the great return of the children of Israel to the wondrous capital city of Jerusalem. After 70 years in captivity in Babylonia, they will come home, he writes, and the people will return and be consoled by the wondrous maternal care of the holy city. Like a nursing baby returns to the breast of a loving mother, they will drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. What tremendous imagery. Coming back home. 
like coming to mom with arms embracing. And then there it is in verse 12, today's word of the day. After years and years of reading Scripture, I have to confess that my ignorance was revealed in preparing for this particular Scripture. I had never thought about this word before, though doubtless I've read it. I've read the 66th chapter of the book, book of Isaiah many, many, many times. Often I wonder about the underlying Hebrew or Greek, but when I discovered this word and its meaning, I had to look it up in the English. What is the English word? When I discovered the word, distant memories came rushing back to me. Toddler, giggling memories. Little cries of, do it again, do it again, Grandma, do it again. I'm sitting on my grandmother's lap, my gram, my gago. My mother's mother lived with us from before the time of my birth until I was 11 or 12 when she moved into a retirement home. This warm and delightful recognition flooded my head when I found the meaning of today's word. I'm sitting on her lap. She's bouncing me. I'm laughing. And she is saying, Trit, trot, tro to Boston to buy this boy a cake. On the way, he saw a big snake. And she'd take my hands and lift him up in the air. A big snake. Up with a stone to break his backbone and gallopy, gallopy all the way home. Again, again, again. <laughs> Tossing my arms in the air, laughing. Few more rounds of these bouncing horsey rides. The poem shifted when she grew tired. Trit trot tro to Boston to buy a loaf of bread. Trit trot tro and home again. This gallopy horse is dead. And the legs would straighten and I'd slide down onto the floor. More laughter, more giggles, and then zerberts. You know what zerberts are, <laughs> right? I've never used that noise in a sermon before. <laughs> Until preparing for this sermon, that memory was tucked away, Lord knows where, <laughs> in the depth of my memories. Until the great prophet Isaiah gave me a word for it. The word is dandel. Dandel. The universal transcultural transgeneration activity of bouncing a small child on your knee. You shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Lost in the fog of recollection of, of an adult life and world, the euphoric swirl of prophetic memory inspired the question. Jonathan, when's the last time you felt that joyous, that happy, that safe? When's the last time you felt dandled? Do not rejoice in the spirits that submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of Luke. 
as members of the 70 that were sent out into the world to proclaim the immediate proximity of the kingdom of God, they returned to Jesus with great joy. Even demons submitted to your name, they cry out. Victory feels great. Watching the enemy recoil in the face of truth, seeing peace descend on the hearts of people and households and villages, it feels fantastic, Jesus. I don't need to tell you, but we live in a very grumpy age, a nasty age, where victory is portrayed not as lasting peace, but as the complete annihilation of the presumed enemy, a glorification of violence on behalf of what we perceive as truth. Fight like hell, is the battle cry. Losing is for losers. Winning is for winners. We all want to be winners, right? Except for the soldier. Winning is not the end for the warrior. Victory on the battlefield is not the final driving force. The soldier, the true warrior, the real fighter's desire is not the obliteration of the enemy. It's the deep desire to go home. And one of the fundamental anxieties of those who have faced the real carnage of war isn't the fear that their opponents might regroup and gain the upper hand. No, the real fear is that after the fight is over, after all that they have seen and heard and done, will home take them back? That's why they're prayed on Veterans Day, on Memorial Day, on the 4th of July. We put out bunting and we strike up the bands. We ask our warriors to stand and to march or to limp down Main Street because we want them to know it's okay. They're welcome back. They're home. I did things. I did awful things. Many a veteran has confessed to his counselor, to his therapist, to her pastor, The novice of such conversations asks for details. Well, what kind of things? In a voyeuristic pseudo-compassion, wanting detailed accounts of watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning, I say the requested gut spill is purely for the curiosity of the novice who is listening. Tell me about the stuff that I know nothing about. Tell me about what you saw, about what you heard, about what you smelled, about what you did. But the confession of the warrior is not about the horror of the atrocities. It is about the depth of acceptance. Every great coach of children's sports knows that it's not about winning or losing the trophy. It's about everybody going out for ice cream regardless of the outcome. It's about the absurd audacity of this table. Years ago when the Presbyterian Church had determined that it was not only acceptable but it was right and fitting that children 
coming to receive communion along with the adults of the congregation. There were a few members of my first congregation that were back in the old school understanding of what communion was all about. They have to understand it before they can receive it, they would say. They have to know how to be worthy to receive. What do they need to understand, I would ask? Do they have to understand what is meant by body and blood? Do they need to comprehend what we say about broken flesh and poured blood of our Savior? Explain to me what you think it means. Tell me what makes you worthy to receive. I must confess that I was a novice at the time and a lot more in your face than I am these days. The absurdity of this table is not the deep interpretation of our anti-transubstantiational Presbyterianism, nor is it Calvin's refutation of Lutheran notion of consubstantiation with its expression of real presence, nor does it rest on our elders' capacity to discern your sincerity or worthiness based on community gossip about things you did last month. 150 years ago, congregations had become so dedicated to understanding that on several occasions communion would be offered and nobody would receive. The catch was this. One of the requirements to be worthy of communion was humility. Receiving in full knowledge of the grace that's required to make the communion table possible. Of course, the only way that you could convey your deeply humble unworthiness was to deny yourself access. A great catch. Am I humble enough to receive communion? Well, I may be. But the very act of receiving communion would be an act of defiant arrogance. And so communion would be prepared, the invitation would be given, and the faithful, humble congregation would remain in the pews and decline to receive. Now, a couple of world wars later, countless wounded warriors of military, personal, social revolutions, We've rediscovered the invitation. The absurdity of communion is this. Nobody is worthy. So everybody has to come. It's not about what you've done or who you are. It's about showing up anyway. It's about coming home Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now deep down inside, our frightened, tired, toddler selves want something far more important, something much deeper than winning. We want to be home. We want to nurse to our fill. We desire to be carried We long to be dandled again, to gallopy, gallopy all the way home. Amen. Amen.